to have dads that got out of bed in the rain, came to church. I just want to thank God for all of you guys. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Thank you for leading your families. Thanks for being here. Uh, just one more time. Let's give it up for these dads. Man, I love you guys a lot. Go to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you're new to the Bible or Christianity, go to the table of contents first, but go to 1 Samuel 18. We're in a series that's called Live Green, which is really explaining why our church is called Greenhouse and what the essentials of discipleship are. And last week we talked about yellow and blue makes, but green starts with yellow. We described yellow as our relationship with God, blue as our relationship with people. Last week we said the first priority is to connect with God. But the second priority is to connect with people. That's where we're going today, talking about community. Everyone say community. If you would stand your feet for 1 Samuel 18, I would love it. And we had some good axe throwing taking place after the last service. That was fun. So we've got that was very much taking place in a very interesting way. And uh, that's going to be just a really, really enjoyable Instagram kind of time. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. If you're ready, say, let's do it. As soon as he, that's David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. I can't describe how different that is from the overwhelming majority experience of probably everybody in this room. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. I just want to point out, before Jesus ever said, love your neighbor as yourself, Jonathan was loving his neighbor as himself. Verse 2, Saul took him that day, took David, and he would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, and then for the second time it says, because he loved him as his own soul. I know you love your kids. I know you love your spouse. I know you love your parents. Have you ever loved other people the way that you love your own soul? It's a provocative question to me. It's what they said of the early church, oh, how they love one another. That they were known more than anything, not for their politics or not for their idiosyncrasies, but they were known for this. In verse 4, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I want to talk about show me your friends. Show me your friends. So... If any of you know Pastor Mike Lane, you know a lot of things. Number one, he's amazing as a human being. But number two, he's one of the best pickleball players in the galaxy. So Mike Lane apparently picked up the game pickleball, which is a cross between volleyball and ping pong and tennis. And he started playing. I thought it was just nothing but a retirement community sport. Turns out it's the fastest growing sport in America. It's blowing up on UF campus. Every time I go out to the courts, it's just loaded with college students. I got to play a little bit, dip my toes into it. I went out there. I was playing some with a few guys. Everybody I played, I beat. So I felt pretty confident. So I finally said to this other group, I said, give me your best player. 
So they gave me their best player. And he's like, hey, are you sure? And he knew I was like a pastor. I usually don't like for people to find that out. But he knew. And he's like, hey, you know, I'm sort of talking smack. And he's just being real gentle and kind and not saying anything back. And we began to play. And you play to 11. When you, usually you play to 11. The final score was 11 to nothing. I did not score a single point. I had so overestimated my abilities and when I was talking to him afterwards, just processing, and I, I said, man, just, just, just talk to me. And I said, what, what do I need to do? He says, well, the biggest thing you need to know is the only way you get better is by playing people that are better. Because if you keep on playing with people that aren't so hot, you're going to stay not so hot. And if you want to get good, you're going to have to play with people that are good. You're going to have to change your circle of community when you're playing pickleball. Now, it applies to pickleball, but it also applies to business. It also applies to parenting. It also applies to health. It also applies to your morals. You can mark this down that you will become like the people you spend time with. You will. There's no way around this. You will become like the people you spend time with, which is why when we come to the story of David and Jonathan, I want to make the point today, number one, David's need Jonathan's. In verse 1, it says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him. And when this was the case, in verse 5, it says, and everywhere David went, he was successful. Now, David is a wild case study in human history. I'm not sure if you know this or not, but there is an inordinate amount of attention that is paid to the man David in Scripture. In fact, in all of ancient history, we know more about David than we know about the vast majority of anybody in ancient history. Even in Scripture, David occupies a unique place as much attention is given in the narratives of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, as a lot of attention is given in the books that he took part in. This was the songwriter for the nation of Israel. With the book of Psalms was um, most, I mean, when you think of Psalms, you're thinking of David who compiled these songs, the song books of Israel. If you turned on the radio in ancient Israel, you'd hear another, for another number one hit from David. Then you'd turn it on in a different genre, in a different style. This man wrote different styles, different genres. If you were in a pit, he was the guy for you. He wrote psalms for people in pits. If you're on a mountaintop, he wrote psalms for people on mountaintops. If you were guilty, he wrote songs for the, you name it, David wrote it. This was an influential man that has informed generations. How many of us have been to a funeral where someone said, the Lord is my my shepherd, I shall not want. God used him as a warrior. God used him as a leader. This is the one that downloaded the plans for the temple of God. The same temple that says is a foreshadowing of the very temple that's up in heaven. David is unlike just about anyone that you can see in human history. This was a brother that did amazing, incredible things. And it was him of whom the Bible says, God spoke over him and said, this is a man after my own heart. And this is the man, God would say, that I have chosen through which the Messiah of the world would come. I just want you to understand this. This is the guy that when God said, the world needs a savior, I'm going to pick an individual through whom he shall come. He makes a covenant with David and says, through you is going to come the savior of the world. Now, now the reason I'm letting you know that is David is, historically speaking, the man. But it says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to him. The question would be, why might that have been? Well, four chapters before the one we're reading right now in chapter 14 of the same book, 
we get a little bit of the snapshot of Jonathan because apparently Jonathan was quite the champion himself. Jonathan was the guy, I'm not going to read it because it's a long chapter, but Jonathan was the guy that while the Philistines were coming and working in justice and bringing oppression against God's people and God was raising up people to, to go and to resist this, Jonathan sees what's going on. His father is Saul. So Jonathan is the son of Saul the king. Saul began as a good king, turned into a bad king, and God needed to bring a new king, and that new king was named David. Saul is getting worse and worse and worse, but Jonathan is pure in heart, and, and it's awkward because we're coming into a situation where the heir apparent to Saul would be Jonathan, and yet God has said, I'm going to remove Saul's line from this progression, and I'm going to raise up someone that has a heart after me, which would be David. So it's, it's awkward politically, and yet what we find are here that two people politically that have no natural reasons to come together are about to come together because their hearts weren't knit together on politics, their hearts were knit together on Jesus, on God, on the messianic line. And so Jonathan is in a spot where some Philistines have gotten a high ground and they've gotten a position of power in chapter 14 and they're in this high spot up on a hill and there's a battalion of them and Jonathan goes and takes his armor bearer with him and he says, hey man, let's go. He says, what do you want to do? He says, let's go. Let's go defend God's people, man. Let's, let's go defend. This is for God's name, you know. And, he, and, he kind of, and his armor bearer says, whatever you, it's in your heart to do, I'm with you. Like his armor bearer had a champion's heart because Jonathan had a champion's heart, because when you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And so he's got this champion with him, and they come down, and sure enough, they're up in this high ground like this. They're up on some hill or some mountain, and, and so Jonathan's there, and he's like, all right, man, let's, let's do this. What, what do you say? He's like, well, I mean, anybody that knows military theory at all would know, you know, 40 or 50 of them and two of you, bad idea. They're up on the high ground. You're on the low ground, bad idea. You're going to have to strap your sword and climb the rocks, bad idea. And Jonathan says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call out to them, and, and we're going to kind of interact with them. And if those guys tell us to come up to them, that will be a sign God's giving them into our hands. Now, in case it's escaped you, that's kind of like me saying, Lord, I'm just going to do a test. I've, I got this thought in my mind, like I should give, I, I have $1,000 in my hand. I should go give it away to this, this poor person that I saw in church today. And I, and I saw some single mom or I saw some person in need. And, hey, am I supposed to give all my money away? Lord, this will be the sign. When I let go of this pen, if it hits the ground, that's a sign. I'm supposed to give it all away. Yes. You would sort of say that was a no-brainer. No, of course, that, when you go up to your enemy and say, should we come up? <laughs> You're sort of thinking, they're going to say, uh, yeah, why don't you come on? And sure enough, they did. And sure enough, they did. And God gave them into their hands. And God brought this great victory. And God used Jonathan with a champion's heart to go and to do what a lot of other people were afraid to do, what no one thought they could have done. Jonathan was a Here's what I need you to understand. Davids need Jonathans, and you need community. When David had Jonathan, I just want you to understand, when David had Jonathan, David came alive. Like, we're going to find in this life of David that everywhere he goes, he was successful. He was successful. He was faithful. As long as David had Jonathan, it's like the old story of the young preacher that went to church and, and he didn't preach his greatest message, but one of the old grandmas was over here and she said, amen. He'd say something true. She'd say, amen. He'd say something. She'd say, well preach it, preacher. And he finally got to the end somewhat embarrassed. And he, he, he said, oh, grandma, you and me both know that was not a good sermon. She says, I, I know that, son. He said, well, 
You, you and me both know I wasn't ready today. I, uh, that, that was horrible. She says, I understand, I understand. He said, then, then why were you amening me? She said, son, it's not just the preacher that makes the congregation. It's the congregation that makes the preacher. Thanks. <laughs> and she said, son, just because you didn't show up today to do your job, I showed up to do mine. See, there might be a great preacher in somebody. There might be a great David in somebody, but, but I need you to understand, God put his potential in you. Community brings it out of you. God's the one that put in the potential, but I just find it fascinating that when David does his signature deal, he just be, everyone knows the story of David and Goliath. The question is, what was God's next move? He connects him with Jonathan. David's need Jonathan's, and you need community. I read this week that in the last six months, the majority of Americans, 60% of Americans in the last six months have not had one conversation about important matters with someone in their life. So reading Wall Street Journal research that was talking about the, the neglect of friendships that people have, and from the mid-80s into the 2000s, there has been a sharp decline in what they describe as confidants. Hum Americans, at least, have, have had a decline in the number of people in whom they confide. Men are the worst. 44% of men do not have a single person that could be considered a confidant. Not one. Conversations with people, it shows us that, that right now, that e even as I'm talking to Christians coming out of COVID, and, and, I, and I get it because during COVID there's been isolation and people have been alone, and um, the average job right now, people, there's massive turnover. Every business, I thought it was just churches, it's businesses, it's churches, it's you fill in the blank. I mean, there's overwhelming, unprecedented turnover of jobs and businesses. I mean, it's been, people have been isolated, they've been separated, it's been wild what's happened, but people that were in good places, they have started doing horribly. People that were not addicted now are addicted. People that were not depressed now are depressed. People that weren't in a pit, they are in a pit. And they're saying it's going to take months or years for people to get out. But I want to just give you some of the news of the scripture. You don't get out on your own because lone rangers are losers. Davids need Jonathans and you and I and we need community. When we've got the right community, when we've got covenant relationships, we thrive. Our potential comes out. Our blind spots get watched over. But when we don't, it, it, it's a real problem. Yeah, I was reading where when, when Navy SEALs drop into a place, they have three questions that they've got, you know, they'll do like the halo, you know, high altitude, low, whatever, you know, they're going to jump down and, and, and land and you're all disoriented and they've got three questions. As soon as you land on site, on mission, you have to ask these three questions. Number one, where am I? Number two, where's my enemy? Number three, where's my buddy? Where, where am I? Where's my enemy? Where's my buddy? But they say of the three questions, the most important question is actually number three. Because if you don't know where you are and you don't know where your enemy is, your buddy can help you figure out the answer to the first two questions. Could I just ask you right now, where are you right now? 
Where's your enemy right now? And where's your buddy? See, Davids need Jonathans, and Jonathans need community. Number two, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. It's connecting with people is not the first priority, but it is the second. When I was a youth pastor, I saw this with teenagers. Parents are obsessed oftentimes with, I want my child to hang out with the right crowd. Very true. I remember one day when one of my children came to me and said, Dad, I'm concerned about some of the people you are hanging out with. I was like, whoa, what, what do you mean? He said, Dad, I, I, I've seen you around some people. They just seem cocky. And it's good to be confident when there's, but you've always told us that confidence needs humility to look like Jesus. If you get around people that are self-confident, but they're not humble, they're going to be overconfident. And, it's, and Dad, I'm, I'm concerned for you. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> well, I'm concerned for you, right? Parents are good at being concerned, but friends, can I just be honest with you? I'm concerned for all of us. It's not just a teenage thing. It's what business people do you hang out with? What people are you processing information with? Who are the people that you are? Show me your friends. I'll show you your future because you become like the people with whom you spend time. Bible says in the book of Proverbs, what is it? Proverbs chapter 13, 20. He who walks with the wise will become wise. Will you say that with me? He who walks with the wise will become wise. But the companion of fools will be destroyed. If you're in business and you want to be successful in business, you probably need to hang out with people that know what they're doing in business. If you're talking to salespeople that know how to close deals, if you're trying to learn how to close deals, hang out with people that know how to close deals. And if you hang out with people that are wise, you're going to get wise. If you hang out with people that are kind, you're going to be kind. But listen, if you hang out with people who are offended, you're going to get offended. You hang out with people that are angry, you're going to get angry. When you hang out with people that are bitter, it says in Hebrews, bitterness spreads like gangrene, you're going to get bitter. You hang out with people that are lazy, you're going to be lazy. You hang out with people, you fill in the blank, walk with the wise and you will become wise. Show me your friends, I will show you your future. To which people say to me sometimes, Mike, I don't agree. I don't think it affects me. When I'm around these people, I, I don't think they're having a negative effect. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, you know, whatever. I'm just, okay, so I, I'm going to give you what I would call like my circles of friendship, all right? So when I'm thinking of my friends, all right, at the, at the beginning, the first circle I would mention, I would call this your inner circle. Right here is the, this is your inner circle. Right here in this inner circle, these are the people you are most intimate with. These are the people in whom you confide. These are the people that you can share your deep, dark secrets. These are the people that you're going to express things that would leave you kind of vulnerable. The next circle I would say after this, I would call this your, your circle of influence. These are people that they might not be your most intimate. They might not even be your peers. This might be like coaches. This might be like, maybe it's your parents. You might be, they might be in your inner circle. But these are people that have a lot of influence on you. Might be a microchurch leader, a teacher at school. These are people that have influence. You open yourself up to their influence. And you, and you sort of let your guard down uh, around their influence. Outside of that, what you'll have... There's just like another circle. These are like your casual acquaintances. These are people you actually care about. Like you care. You know, you, you care about them at some level. You might see them at a birthday party a couple times a year. You get together. You do your whole little, hey, man, how's the year been? Uh, I don't know. COVID, I know. Did you have it? No. Did you have it? No. You know, did you ever get tested? No. Did you get tested? No. Did you wear a mask? I don't know. Did you wear a mask? Don't ask. Don't tell. Okay, we're done. See you next year. So that's like, that's like this circle right here, right? Now, now, here's what I would say. When people tell me, 
the people I'm around are not affecting me. I agree with you if by that you mean this outer circle and beyond. But if what you mean is one of these inner circles of the inner circle or the influence, if you're talking about in this area right here, in this area right here, the reality is whatever's going on in that circle is, is, is affecting your soul. Show me your inner circle and I will show you what you are becoming, for better or for worse. Show me that inner circle. Show me that influencer circle. And I will, sh- it's, it's kind of like, like I'm tomorrow, I'm leaving tomorrow to go to, to Guyana in South America. And so I'll be down there. And when you get on the plane, right there on the plane, you get off. And you know they make you put it on like airplane mode when you're on. Of course, most people don't. I'm not sure how the planes haven't crashed yet when nobody complies, you know. But you get off. And if you did turn it off and you turn it back on, as soon as you land, your phone will say something there toward the top. Oftentimes, it will say searching for connection. Now, here's the reality about your phone. Your phone is loaded with potential. Your phone can download documents from Google Docs. Your phone could go onto Instagram and make someone's day or embarrass someone horribly. Your phone could give you information and news from Twitter, and you could go to CNN, and you could check things out. And you could... This phone has so much potential as long as it's connected. But when you're not connected, the potential is still there. You'll be like, whoa, check it out. I've got... I've got photos saved, look at my photo, look, and you can show someone next to you photos. That's an amazing, I'm not saying there's not power in the phone not connected. What I'm saying is the full potential of the phone depends on the connection it was made for. And the full connection of you and of me comes alive when you are like David, when it says he knit his soul to David and David knit his soul to him. And when they did that, so David, and friends, I want to make the, I just, let, me, let me connect all the dots here. As long as David had Jonathan, David thrived. When David had Jonathan, he's writing psalms. When David had Jonathan, he's doing justice. When David had Jonathan, he was, he was kicking butt, taking names. When Jonathan dies several chapters after this, we never get a testimony that David ever replaced Jonathan. And please hear me carefully. Post-Jonathan, David is not the same. David goes off, he commits adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. When everyone should have been at work and he was not at work. When kings should have gone to war and he wasn't going to war. When everyone should have been on mission and he was not on mission. Instead, he was up on the top of his palace by himself. Looking out of his palace by himself. In a moment of boredom, in a moment of frustration. Maybe just tired from all the this pressures of leadership. And he looks down, the Bible says, and he sees a woman taking a bath whose name is Bathsheba. He goes and he commits adultery with Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. He freaks out. He gets her husband, Uriah, killed. So Uriah gets killed. She has the baby. He's hoping the baby lives. The baby dies. Late subsequent to this, God said, don't stress on how many people you got, David. You know, but David started stressing how many people he got. So he decides to number the people. He gets warned. Don't number the people, David. God said, you don't need to do this. Oh, shut your mouth. I'm going to go. He has no Jonathan He's got a lot of people under him. He's got, he's got no Jonathan in his life. And so now what has he got? He's got, goes out and numbers the people, and there is this horrible consequence that comes. He ends up raising up children. One of them's named Absalom. At one point, there was a injustice. There was a rape that took place within his household, and David did nothing about it to address the injustice. Absalom's heart becomes embittered at what he sees. Absalom becomes the quintessential turncoat in his offense. He goes off, and with very, I believe with probably very good intentions at the 
confronted. He becomes the Absalom character of history, rebels against his dad, has to be killed. He has another son named Adonijah, does something very similar, very sad. He ends up dying with a, some young lady in his bed to keep him warm that he's not even married to, not saying he's doing something wrong. All I'm saying is when you look at David's life post-Jonathan, it is nothing to write home about except for examples of what you don't want to do. Mike, what's your point? David is a man after God's own heart. And David was the man that God chose to bring the Savior of the world. And David did go and change history. But please do not miss the dots that Scripture reveals, which is that as long as David had a Jonathan, as long as he was connected, his potential was coming out. And you take off the connection, and the second half of his life is a very different story. So what about you? Are you connected? Who's in, who's in your inner circle? Because the, the world we're in right now is like making the inner circle smaller and smaller. Let's get it to be people that are just like you. Because it is. It's painful. It's painful to let Jonathans in your life that break your heart. It's painful. So what do we do? We've got these inner circles getting smaller and smaller and smaller, or maybe not at all. It's people that only look just like you, vote just like you, talk just like you, no one that's kind of challenging whatever's going on. And so you've got these, these levels, then we get these other influences. Mike, what are you saying? I'm saying this. If you want to go and become all that God's made you to be, and this is my final point of the day, you're going to have to own your inner circles and commit. When I'm reading this story, it says, then Jonathan, verse 3, made a covenant with David. That's a choice. He made a covenant. I know we do this with marriage. I've seen many people get married and they'll say, do you take her? Do you take him? And then we say, I do. I want to ask you, have you made those kind of friendship commitments with people that says, for better or worse, even when it gets hard, even when it's annoying, I'm going to be in relationship with you. Friend, I, I want you to know, I've, I have people in my life that I would say about them, till death do us part, we are in friendship. It doesn't mean we don't get mad at each other. It doesn't mean we don't you know, bitter, get hard with each other. It means I'm going to be in friendship with this person, period. And then there's other friends. I was talking to somebody who said, man, I was really close to this person. And she was in school here. And, and uh, she moved out to, after she graduated. She moved out to California. And I'm here. We just never talk anymore. Like our friendship was really determined by proximity because we had a lot of in common interests and things like that. In college here, we were friends. But I just asked, hey, are you guys still connecting? He's like, no, not so much. We'd, I'm like, oh, so it wasn't that. I want to ask you, do you have people in your life besides your spouse that you would say you have intentionally put them in your inner circles, and you, you might say, well, Mike, that could be painful. Oh, it will be. But you could get stabbed in the back. Oh, you will be. But they're going to let you down. Oh, yes, they will. But you're going to let them down. Oh, yes, you will. But that's going to be hard. Oh, yes, it will. But you're going to get tired. Oh, yes, you will. All I'm saying is, David, you got to make a choice. Do you want to be the man after God's own heart, or do you want to be just like the rest of the world that goes and fizzles in their old age? Do you want to be just, a, do you want to live another little tiny echo chamber existence where it just keeps on going small, like this little black hole of existence where you suck everything in? Or do you want to be like a David that says, wait a minute, Jonathan goes, he made a, he made a covenant with David. There's something good about having friends that you say, hey man, could we, like yesterday I was talking to someone that was, they were telling me their dating thing. I said, well, how did you guys get together? Like, did you say, 
Will you go out? I mean, I, I think there's something good about the whole middle school. Write out a note. Will you go with me? Check yes or check no. At least it's clear. I mean, at, at the end of COVID, we've got more people here than we've had in a while. I, I kind of feel like some of you should take a little piece of paper and go out in the lobby afterwards and write a little note and say, will you be my friend? Yes? No? Maybe? At least it's a good DTR. I mean, it's a good little, hey, this is clear now. We've defined the, Jonathan says, David, I want my soul, I want, I want you to watch. David, my soul is not knit to you because I've got something to gain out of you. David, by me being friends with you, I've got nothing to gain from you. I've got the throne to lose from you. I've got nothing. I mean, it's one of the hard things about life in general is you, when you're wondering, hey, I wonder what's in it for this person to, to be. Man, I was, I was watching somebody recently with it, that he did this. He, he kind of owned his, his thing. He had some people that were here, let's say. They were like right there, right in some of these inner circles. And I knew him in college. And he was a Christian, and he was cool, and he was a good guy. And he had some friends here, you know. And he was a pretty natural guy, just, just, nat just very natural. All I can say is that right now, I keep on hearing the stories that everywhere he goes, he's praying for people. He'll just like stop. He's a business person, but in the middle of business, he'll like, he'll pray, and, and miracles are happening, and people are getting healed, and supernatural things are taking place. And I'm like, whoa, he's kind of getting this supernatural reputation. Now, if you would have known him in the past, you'd be like, hey, cool guy, you know, wonderful guy, all that. But now he's like something supernatural is taking place. But what happened was he had people that were in here that he has moved to out here. Some of them out altogether. Some of them just to the realm of, hey, I care about them. I'll show up at their party, but they're not going to influence me, and they're not going to be in my inner circle. I'm not confiding in them. That's not where I'm going. And then he's had other people that were out here that he moved into here, and he got some of these people. I would just say they're like kingdom of God, explosive, flammable kind of people that when you hang with the supernatural, you start to live supernaturally. When you hang with people that forgive their enemies, you start to forgive your enemies. When you hang with people that take their wallets and give every single dollar away that they have because the Holy Spirit was kind of prompting them, you start to take out your wallet and give everything away because the Holy Spirit's prompting you. I love it. I really like that. And when you hang out with people that point you to Jesus and say there is nothing that he cannot do and there's nowhere you cannot go and there's nothing that's impossible in his name, you start to believe it. Do you have those people in your inner circle? Because when Jonathan saw David, he's like, that's my guy. That's my, that's my family. That's my tribe. That's my people. Who are you saying that to? Or are you bopping from one people to another, from one crowd to another, from one group to another, from one whatever to another? Is there any Jonathan in you? Is there a David in you? Because Davids need Jonathans, and Jonathans need Davids, and you need the body. And there's a bunch of crazy people that do not deserve to be in your inner circles. But man, when you find the right ones, take out the box and ask them to check it because it's time to go real. I this week I was reading this guy. He said he had called some answer machine, and the, the ant picks up the thing, and someone says, hey, thank you for calling. Thank you for caring enough to call. I, I'm currently making a bunch of changes in my life. Please leave me a message. If I don't call you back, you're one of those changes. <laughs> I 
I am, I am not trying to be crass. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be very practical right now with you. I think you need to ask yourself who's in here and who's not. Who should be in here who's not now and who is now that needs to get out? You might say, Mike, I don't, I don't, think, I, I don't think this is going to happen. Even if someone checks the box, even if someone goes, you know, should I get in a microchurch? Yeah, go get in a microchurch. But get in a microchurch and when you're there, be like that grandma, show up. To me, though, the key of the whole, this whole passage is verse 4. Because when I sit here and I think about it, I'll just be honest with you, it's Father's Day week. Thursday was the date my dad died. I was very, I had all the feels. My sisters and I were texting and there was other things that were, other, other pressures that were reminded of the passing of my father on that day. And... And, and I remember wishing I had a dad that was going to bless me or a dad that was going to, you know, I think everybody wants, I, I mean, Pastor Robbie, honestly, when I heard you say about your dad, when I'm 72 years old, I want to be just like you. I, I think there's a bunch of us that could probably raise our hands and say, I wish I had that. And it, it ends up getting disappointing, this life does, you know. Because if you ever have opened up your heart, to open your heart means to get hurt. And it seems like the whole world doesn't care. So there's points in my life where I'm like, well, if no one cares, then me neither. But that's not the best way to live. And, and, the, and the hard thing about opening up your life and your heart to let people in your heart, to use that phrase, like, who have you invited into your heart? The problem is you know you're going to get hurt. See, and, and that's why, to me, the key in this whole thing is... <laughs> It's verse 4. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe. Jonathan is supposed to be the next king. But he's heard that the hand of the Lord is on David. And so he looks at him and says, David, man, I recognize you. You're anointed, man. God is on you. And the way you love God, man, I love you. I love you, man. David, David you've got this heart for God. And David's soul was wonderful to Jonathan's soul. He's like, man... My soul is knit to your soul. And he says he, he stripped himself of the robe and he gave it to David. This was a symbol that he, in fact, in another place, he says, David, I know you're going to be the next king. David, I, and David was kind of fearful. If you read the whole story, and I don't have time for it, but David kind of sometimes, he's like, he's a little scared. He's like, well, Jonathan, how can I know you're going to do what's in my best interest? David puts his hand in Jonathan's hands a couple times, and, and Jonathan's like, you can trust me, but David's like, wait a minute, man. You've got every natural reason in the world to let me get killed, and I'm putting my life in your hands, but Jonathan is letting him know, David, no, listen, man, you are going to be the king. I will be it. I would be willing to play the number two fiddle for you because I love you. I love you like my own soul. By the way, this was not erotic love. I've heard people say, well, he was erotic. No, no, see, only a, it's only post-romantic Americanology that kind of turns all love into, well, everything love has to be romantic. No, we find from David, he says, the love that he had for Jonathan was better than the love of a woman, which means there is something higher than romantic love. It's called unconditional love. 
people engaged in romantic love and they get divorced because the romantic attractions were done. They're like, ah, I kind of fell out of love with you, so I guess we're done. No, David's saying there's something deeper than romantic love. It's called agape, God love, unconditional love. And friends, it's not until this, is, this has to happen to you. Jonathan strips himself of the robe that was on him. He gave it to David. He's letting David know, you are the man. I am willing to serve you. I will give up my privileges for you. He's going to come and give this to him. And he stripped it off. He put his armor his sword, his bow, his belt. But it's not about Jonathan. Because the greatest Jonathan there ever was, was David's greatest offspring, Jesus. Who was in the form of God, but did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And he stripped himself of his robe of righteousness. He came down to earth and was not born in a, in a mansion. He was born in a manger. He strips himself of the divinity and the prerogatives thereof, and he makes himself nothing, coming in the form of a servant. He comes down, gives himself for us, strips himself ultimately for you and me to have a place in the, those among the living. He's going to make his place among those among the dead. He's going to go up on a cross where Jesus is going to be stripped. His innocent record is going to be stripped off of him and put onto us. He's going to take his robes of righteousness. And put, it's like yesterday I had to get a COVID test to go down there and to go to South America. And even though, you know, you're kind of whatever, you're like, I'd already been vaccinated all this, but I'm still waiting for the results. And when I saw the results and they said, you do not have COVID, you are free to travel. Do you know the joy that it's going to be at the gates of God to go to look in the eyes of God? And he's to say, you are not guilty. You have no sin. <laughs> to which if you're like me, you're like, man, no, I know, man, Lord, my sins are like scarlet. And he'd say, no, no, no. That was your old robe. I took your robe on the cross and I gave you my robe in resurrection. <laughs> Friends, we'll never do this until we realize it's already been done for us. I think we've done a lot of good speeches about you need to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I want to add something. I want you to invite Jesus to be your very best friend. Because there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. And there is a friend that will never let you down, and his name is Jesus. And there is a friend that is going to be there when everyone else bails, and his name is Jesus. And there is a friend that's not going to gossip about you, and his name is Jesus. And there is a friend that you can confide in, and your secrets are safe with him, and his name is Jesus. And there is a friend that can do something about the guilt of your heart. So if you're a dad in here, you're like, Mike, I've blown it. I need a do-over. His name is Jesus. If you need cleansing, his name is Jesus. If you need strength, his name is Jesus. If you need help, his name is Jesus. If you need a friend, his name is Jesus. Call on his name. Call on his name. I, I'll end it like this. Jesus told his disciples, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. There's no greater love than that someone lays down their life for their friends. Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. And Peter, who denied him, is on a beach. And he goes to Peter on this beach. And he asks him a question to restore him. Do you remember what his question was to Peter? He says, Peter, he did not say, Peter, did you learn your lesson? Peter, did you take notes? 
He said, Peter, do you love me? Because I'm your friend. I'm your savior. I'm your king. I'm your all in all. If you've never let Jesus be your everything, do it today. If you've never let Jesus be your forgiver, let him be that today.